0: This is the AFL show, part of the Mojo Sports Network.
1: All right, hello everyone and thank you so much for joining us on the Mojo Sports Network. This is the AFL round preview show and it is finals footy, the double F, we love it, finals footy and I am joined today by Yuri and Ash. Ash is usually on the Tuesday show, Yuri on the Thursday, so what we've done is we combined it onto the Wednesday. It makes sense. Yuri, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself for those who don't know, introduce your background, your footy knowledge, and what we're going to get into today.
0: Yeah, so thank you for having me as always, Julie. My name is Yuri Belsic, and I've been part of the Mojo Sports Network since mid-March this year, so got the opportunity through Ben McQueen for the NBA show, and like you, we've been on the same show together for the last six months, and it's been a worthwhile experience as well, just be able to craft out my knowledge within the podcasting sphere and be able to get back into the realm of sports broadcasting, which has been a tremendous honor to be back once again and also basically do my own writing blogs at the moment with Substack, which I've been doing for the last five months now. So I basically post all of those onto LinkedIn and try to be as proactive as I can with that as well. I'm also part of the Sports grad community too, which is run by Ryan Walker and Ruben Williams, which is basically a community which have been doing for the last four, three years, which helps people who want to pursue a career in the sports industry live out their dreams so they've been doing tremendous work there and i've just recently also jack hudson also got touched base with me this afternoon about opportunities with the inner sanctum as well so gotta start doing some work with them with the nbl podcasting and their writing here and there so yeah super stoked about it as well and the champion data stuff which i recently got a couple of weeks ago so yeah that's pretty much all about myself on the plate as well but basically just try to keep pursuing the opportunities and see what comes knocking on the door.
1: Fantastic. Glad to have you. And Ash is host of the Tuesday AFL show, which we love. He's joined us today to preview the finals footy, which we're excited about. Ash, why don't you uh introduce yourself to the listeners?
2: Yeah. Um day guys on Ash, uh Mad Carlton supporter as well. We've got two of us here on the panel tonight. Yeah, just love my footy, love watching, talking, everything about it, playing. Love my trades, my drafts and uh, AFL fantasy, although it's sort of been a pretty terrible year for me this season.
1: Have you uh, made an AFLW team? Fantasy team, that is.
2: Uh, I, I did, but I'm, I'm not going to lie. I haven't paid too much attention to it. So <laughs> I think I'll, I'll, t- I'll take a break and reload yeah. for, for uh, the next men's season.
1: I was craving the fantasy as well. I just needed something. So I made a team. And uh, anyway, we'll get into that on another time. We're going to preview the rounds because we've got finals footy and it's four exciting games. Probably one of the, and I, I say this with a bit of bias, but probably one of the most exciting finals we're going to see. Based off of how close all of the teams are, I don't think there's any clear standouts this year which we'll get into but we'll go into the boys analysis of the game Collingwood versus Melbourne it is tomorrow night 7 20 at the MCG boy this is going to be a cracker the teams have just got released so I read them out Bo McCreary Darcy Moore Big In and Nathan Murphy all come in for the Collingwood Magpies out goes Billy Frampton omitted Finlay McRae was the sub Jack Ginevan after his fantastic game last week gets omitted and probably the stiffest one of all which the boys will definitely talk about is John Noble gets omitted after a fantastic year consistently off the half back over to melbourne michael hibbert and tom mcdonald tom mcdonald's back into the team sorry brodie grundy out goes bailey lorry daniel turner omitted and jake Melksham with that sad acl injury yuri we'll start with you how does this one play out this is a huge game pies versus melbourne a lot of people are starting to write off the pies which is just ridiculous because they're still collinwood magpies playing exciting footy how do you think this one goes
0: It's going to be an absolute belt of a game, Julian, and
1: the conditions are going
0: to play a significant part in tomorrow night's contest. It's going to be cold, damp, windy. I think it's only nine degrees. Tomorrow's maximum temperature, you'll be all over this, Julian. It's going to be freezing cold. And when you look at those elements all together and marinate them, you think that suits Melbourne with their contested style of ball. They always thrive in the contest. It's where... Everything predicates for them when they have the ultimate success. When they win that hard ball in the middle, they're able to get on top in the stoppages. And it's been a weakness of Collingwood's this season. Again, they finished 15th in contested possession. And even with the acquiring of Tom Mitchell, it made minimal difference whatsoever. So look in that regard in terms of what may pan out there too. I think the other part as well, because King's birthday gave us a bit of a synopsis in a way of what might eventuate tomorrow evening. And that's the matchup with Darcy Moore and Bailey Fritch. And Fritch had an outstanding game. He kicked three goals or more and led into every contest possible. And this is key for Melbourne tomorrow night. It's like for any other team, but especially for Melbourne, where they generate a lot of inside 50 entries. But normally those entries fall to fruition and they often don't get reward for the amount of supply that they get entering their attacking half. So that's going to be key, looking to not bomb the ball long into Darcy Moore and forcing a one-on-one isolation, just as Carlton did in round 20 with Charlie Kernow, Charlie shall I say, when he kicked six goals on more on that Friday night. That's the big part to it as well. And if Fritch is able to have a big game and he didn't miss a beat in his first game against Sydney in, what, two months, overcoming that foot injury and he did send a scare through by landing awkwardly on that foot and luckily it wasn't that serious. So I think if Fritch is able to really get off the leash as well, Tom McDonald's inclusion, he's missed a considerable chunk of this season with the ankle injury. But I spoke about this on the previous podcast earlier this afternoon and Coszy Pickett is the big X-factor heading into tomorrow night with those wet conditions that are expected as well. He's at times had a very up and down season as well. His best has been scintillating and other times he can go missing for just a little bit too long during games. But the other real weapon Melbourne has as well with Pickett and they've been utilising it at every opportunity is by having him in short bursts in centre square stoppages and clearances and just giving Melbourne this extra dimension which may cause Collingwood a few problems tomorrow night. And while I look at the matchup as well, Isaac Quaynor is the first pick to go on Cozzy tomorrow night. And Quaynor's defensive efforts have significantly improved over the, the handful of seasons. He's been in the MAG pass since his debut in 2019. He's considerably gotten better. He hardly gets beaten in one-on-one contests. So look for that matchup to occur tomorrow evening. And the big part as well, and Collingwood did make a fake-complete mistake as well by playing Tom Mitchell. It's a sort of a negating role in Locking Neil and it didn't work to one bit because Neil completely ran him off his feet. And I don't expect Collingwood to go down that same route once again. The other part, I think, to it tomorrow night as well, and it's gonna suit Collingwood's pack of smalls as well. Well Bobby Hill now, Jack Ginnivan being omitted, but Bobby Hill and Bo McCreary and how they're able to revel in those wet conditions as well. It's gonna be a very monumental task for Judd McVeigh, who's had a scintillating first season and in the AFL system and also with Jake Bowie, who's had another solid campaign. Michael Hibbard's the other one and We don't know exactly yet whether he's going to be the medical sub or not at this stage. That's to be determined in the hour leading up to the contest. So just those few things really to look forward to as well. The other part I think, Julian, is was that win against Essendon sort of the real kickstart yet again for the Magpies, even though it is the Bombers? I guess time Mm. will tell tomorrow evening.
1: Great analysis. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's funny you mentioned the midfield, but I noticed um, last week that Brayshaw had 59% game time, I or center bounce attendances. So they're still using him in that middle, even though Clayton Oliver has returned. So they love what he brings. I wonder if he plays more across the halfback tomorrow. They need him in that middle. Ash, uh, what are your thoughts on this game? How does this one pan out in your mind?
2: Yeah, well, I think it all started a bit of the intrigue through selection tonight. Um, Obviously, the main one being that John Noble was dropped mm. and um, sort of... The other thing, interesting thing there was that Collingwood went with both Darcy Cameron and Mason Cox, which we sort of knew about yesterday. But uh, it just sort of highlights a few of the selection headaches which uh, Craig McRae has been going through. I think on paper, where Collingwood lie, their clear uh, strength is with their ball movement. Um, they move the ball better than any team in the competition, which Hertzman is saying as a Carlton really supporter. But sort of when they got that high energy electric ball use through the corridor, you know, they're so hard to stop, even without Nick Dacos. So even though that he's been crucial in that department, I'm sure that Collingwood take it right up to Melbourne through their ball movement and speed uh, tomorrow night. Uh, Collingwood rank, I believe it was first in the comp from points from D50 to uh, forward 50. So that just, you know, highlights how much of a strength it is. But on the other side, where Collingwood's weaknesses lie is probably where Melbourne's strengths lie with the contest. Um, from rounds one to 11, Collingwood were top two in the competition for contested possession, grand balls, and seventh in clearances, whereas sort of after that by they've dropped off dramatically to about, you know, 15th in contested possessions, 17th in grand balls, 11th in clearances, so it was a clear drop off. And considering how much of the game sort of slows down in finals, becomes a lot more scrappy and um contest-based, it's going to be a bit of a concern and definitely a, a point to sort of look at. Uh, once the first bounce is tomorrow, obviously credit has to go to Melbourne in that department too, because they've been absolutely unreal ever since Clayton Oliver came back, especially. Um, so, yeah, but I think the concern with Melbourne for me is some of their injuries inside 50 inefficiency hasn't been up to scratch with a lot of the other sort of top four teams and, and top eight teams in general. Um, a, a lot a lot of the times you sort of find them just bombing it long and they don't really have a really dominant key forward or key forwards to take them contested marks and work up the ground, like we see from you know Carlton or Brisbane or even Port Adelaide. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens there. It's going to be pretty wet tomorrow, so that probably works a little bit in Melbourne's favour. I'm personally going to tip Melbourne. I think their forward pressure has been pretty good. I think their midfield work has been pretty good. And in a sloppy, wet game tomorrow, uh, I reckon they're just going to get the nail. Uh, the nail. They're just going to get the whatever the word is I'm looking for over Collingwood.
1: Yeah. it's Out of the coffin, I Chocolates. reckon. It's, it's interesting. I, well, you did touch on the Noble one. It's funny. I, I When I read that, I, I was going, wow, John Noble is very stiff to be omitted. But then I'm, I'm looking at the team and I'm looking at the depth that Collingwood have. And I'm like, okay, there's really almost no player that you could substitute for him other than maybe Markov, who's listed in that back line. But, gee, you can't really justify dropping him with the energy and pace that he brings. And then you think about Nick Dacos coming back into the side. Who do you drop for him as well? So... It's really interesting. So they've got some great depth there, which is coming through. But I think, as you both mentioned, Melbourne, their contested ball use is going to be the difference. So, look, I, I hate giving tips because, you know, we always listen back on the podcast and we go, oh, you know, we sound so sure about this. I think I said West Coast were going to lose by 100 points to the Bulldogs, and then the West Coast ended up winning that one. So I'm always a bit nervous. But, you know, Ash, you, you've tipped the D's. Yuri, what are you, what's your final thoughts on margin and winner?
0: Yeah, I've predicted Melbourne to win this game, Julian. I think just the timing that they've had in the last seven or so weeks and, yes, they've had to sort of adjust their forward structure on the fly bit. We thought at one point Harry Petty would be one of their key focal targets in the lead-up to finals as well. That big bag of six goals against Richmond in round 20 and, sadly, does his ankle in a tackle against North Melbourne the following week and ruled out for the rest of the season. I think, though, the whole adjustments that they've been able to do throughout then as well and this is I think the other part too is that you can't often kill Melbourne off very quickly they tend to just hang around for this long stretch and eventually they'll catch up to you and even if they're three four goals down like they were against Sydney midway throughout third quarter when they were 17 points in arrears, they still found a way though and Christian Petrarchi kicked that bomb from 50 meters and basically galvanized the side and they were able to win their fair share of contested bowl and clearances and all the key barometers that are so essential to winning a game of football, they were able to deliver on that part. And the other section I think too as well, and I've already touched upon with Cosy Pickett as well, is that they can float Trend Rivers through the midfield. And they've been doing it at various stages this season. And again I spoke this on another podcast about Melbourne's flexibility but once Christian Salem did return from that thyroid issue which he not for the first time he's had it during his career that it basically opened the way for Rivers's elite kicking to come into that midfield and supply that different dimension
1: we can't talk fantasy because fantasy is over but we do like to have a bit of element of betting on this show so I haven't actually looked into this game yet I don't know Ash if you have any tips but for me just watching Oliver last week I feel like he's just got a big game in him And midfielders love to run right against Collingwood, as Collingwood play a very fast-paced game. So I am looking into Oliver to get 25, even with the wet conditions. Uh, And I'll definitely add some other legs to that. Usually I have Noble for 15, so I'm disappointed I can't get that one. Let's not get into that until we check the final the final weather conditions tomorrow. All right, we're going to move over to this game, which is Carlton versus Sydney, Friday night at the MCG, 7.50 p.m. We've got two Carlton supporters with us. So, boys, I know we're going to want to talk about the Blues, but we must mention Sydney a little bit. The teams aren't released yet, but we're going to talk and dive into the game. So, Colton vs Sydney, I'll we'll start with you, Ash, as a fellow Colton supporter, the same as Yuri. How do you feel like this one will go? Is it Blues time to shine in the finals?
2: Yeah, well, uh, I certainly hope so. I don't, don't want to get too far ahead of myself at the moment, but it seems like there are going to be some pretty sort of nice ins this week, you know, Cripps, Doherty. Um, Motlop, will be back. Akers should, you know, be pretty confident that we will get over his sort of Collarbone issue. There was no sort of structural damage there to or to his shoulder. Pednet will come back in. So we'll be playing the two Rucks. Uh it's it's gonna be very exciting. And I think sort of our brand, which we're playing at the moment, suits um, suits finals footy. You know, um Carlton are ranked first in the comp for average points from clearances and contested possession differential. Um while they're also ranked second, I think it was for clearance differential. So you, you see guys like Coop's will come back, it'll be so dominant. Walsh and Cher are getting some games into them, uh, some minutes into them last week with that game against the Giants, vital. Um, Hewitt has been unreal. Paddy Dow, the resurgence from him has been unreal. So, uh, yeah, they've really set the tone at the coalface. Um, and you know, we might have finished fifth and or whatever it is. But with that back end of the season, I'm very bullish and we clearly have a brand made for finals and it could cause some serious damage uh, in the following weeks to come. Where the concerns come from me is that nine of the past 10 premiers have ranked among the top six uh, for points from turnover differential and Carlton were 11th. So it's clearly a bit of a weakness from there. But like I mentioned with the Collingwood and Melbourne game, it's going to be a bit wet. So I'm hoping that that contested game is really going to sort of come at a bit of a high priority and sort of elevate us uh, to a different level. And I think the, the opposite of that is uh, Sydney, where one of their biggest strengths is probably their turnover game, but I don't know it, how much, uh, how handy that's going to be tomorrow. Uh, they've statistically been pretty good at moving the ball, uh, they're a very high team scoring from turnover, very high team scoring from forward health, intercepts, and they're very high at uh, their efficiency going inside 50. So we've seen over the last month or two guys really step up. Hayden McLean, sort of in the absence of Buddy Franklin. Isaac Keeney is probably a guy that's really made for final. Um, Will Hayward's taken a big step. Logan McDonald, same as McLean, sort of in the absence of Buddy. He's been really strong. So all lifted that output, and it's uh, going to be pretty interesting to see if they can carry that forward into finals. Uh, with Sydney, though, a, a thing which I'm sort of slightly worried about, is sort of if they can hang in defensively. They've been sort of known for, for, for the last few years, really, uh, especially last year when they made the grand final, with their sort of ability to absorb heat, yet stop um, opposition from scoring. And, and this season has been sort of, much of the same, the seventeenth in the comp for average inside fifties conceded, but they're also second for in opposition scores per inside fifty at thirty eight percent. So that's really really high, and it's going to be concerning. Probably not so much of a case uh, on Friday if it's a bit wet, and you're probably expecting slightly fewer inside fifties. But it's going to be sort of interesting to see how sustainable that is. If they do progress, progress after next week, how will they match up against some of the other teams further into September?
1: Those are some ripper stats. That is a fantastic analysis from a cult supporter. We expected nothing less. Yuri, how do you see this one playing out? And we will try and mention the Swans as well as, as Ash did. Yeah. yeah. The, is it Blues time or, yeah, are the Swans? The Swans, it's just hard to know how they'll play. You just never know with them. They can just, I feel like the games that they're not meant to win, especially when the Blues are priced at about $1.50 to win, those are the ones that the Swans love. So yeah, it'll be an interesting one. I
0: have a fair bit of apprehension in the way, Julian, even though we're in the finals for the first time in a decade because it's Sydney, right? You can't tend to doubt them at your own peril. And they have this DNA which has significantly changed in the last three seasons, especially that Richmond game we talked about a handful of episodes ago where that sunny Saturday afternoon, the MCG, when they ran the Tigers off their feet, they basically wiped the whole game plan to a point where we're going to run and outgun everyone. And Chad Warner, at the time was blossoming into the star that he already is and Errol Gould in this season and Nick Blakey. Those three in particular, right, are the ones that love to run with the ball in hand and use as much meterage as possible to hurt the opposition. That's where the big concern does come, considering how much rain, if there is going to be potentially, which might dampen those prospects for Sydney. But again, when you look at what, they have be able to do, like the Blues from that round 14, lost to Brisbane when they were sitting 15th, they had a 5-8 and record, their percentage was about 98.3. Their whole turnaround has been off the charts and they've done so many things, just those intangibles, just to work themselves back to where they eventually are to finish in the finals. And yes, ultimately they lost to Melbourne and cost themselves a home elimination final, but they shouldn't have the fears of traveling away from home and doing it on the big stage because they've played at the MCG a few times. They've had their successes here and there. And if they're able to get on the outside and use their speed, and this is where my worry does come from in a way with Carlton, of course, is the speed factor, especially we've got a lot of terrific midfields in the grunt, of course, with Cripps and Hewitt in there. But when goes to the outside, and this is going to be key, if Carlton's able to win their fair share of contested ball and win that gap by a significant differential margin, then yes, of course, Carlton will be going through to the second week of finals. But if Sydney's able to get their run and carry game going and the trio that I just mentioned are able to have big nights, then the game's going to go very down to the wine the last minute or two. And I think as well... The other part for Sydney, that has to hold up as well as the back line. And when you take away Tom McCartan, of course, he's playing on Friday night, but the other second key defender apart from that is Dane Rampey. And although he's done a tremendous job over a long period of of time, considering he's, what, 188, 189 centimetres, having that task of playing either Charlie Kern or Harry Mackay, that's quite a big ask for a guy who's done so much. And I think the big part too is when the finals fixture did come out as well, and we were playing Sydney. I was worried anyway, because if we have played Adelaide in the first week, they've got the same, if not more speed than the Sydney Swans.
1: I hope it's a, a win for you boys. We're going to move over to a Saturday game. It's St. Kilda versus the Giants 320 at the MCG. Again, St. Kilda, actually the only home team in the finals to be value, valued as underdogs. But, um, so if Saints footy prevails, it'll be an interesting game. Ash, we might um, start with you again. How do you see this one playing out? The Saints obviously have some big ins coming back in with Max King being rested, Seb Ross, Dougal Howard, and Josh Battle. He was in the side last week, but he had a little injury, but he'll be in the side as well. So they've got their team probably at full strength almost. And the Giants, they looked really good against the Blues, although we know last week the Blues, it looked like they gave up at a certain point when they knew they didn't really need to win the game. So. Yeah, is Saints Footy going to prevail or are the Giants in too much good form?
2: I'm probably tipping the Giants, although it's really hard to say. It's probably one that can go e- either way. I think um, Saint Kilda defensively have been really, really strong. Mm. Um, they're ranked first in the competition for points against at uh, just over seventy, which is which is quite remarkable when you actually, mm. actually think about it. Um, so what Ross Line has sort of done there is uh, pretty incredible, in just his first season in charge. But at the same time, sort of in classic Ross line fashion, their defense has been really strong, but their offense has been pretty weak. So as good as they are from sort of stopping the opposition from scoring, the Saints just aren't the most fluent or damaging team offensively. And that's sort of something that worries me in finals when you're typically coming coming against some of the stronger teams. You've got to score more uh, than typically some of your home and away games. So I think... Uh, Granted, two of their most damaging forwards, Max King and Tim Memory, have been unavailable for most of the season. They've done pretty well, but they will be here for the first final against the Giants. Uh, It's great. I'm sure all Saints fans will be pretty happy uh, with that there. So they'll be pretty hopeful. I probably have more concerns than optimism for them, which is why I'm probably going to tip the Giants. I think that their sort of uh, pressure and ability to create turnovers to create turnovers is probably going to overwhelm the Saints, I feel. And despite them sort of playing final St Kilda a couple of years ago, I feel like that experience and that adaptability into a different sort of pressure is going to probably boil over and where I feel the Giants can sort of dominate. Um, turnovers, which the Giants are creating, uh, they were the number one team uh, after their bye. So I think it's pretty impressive. And nine of the last 10 premiers have ranked in top six, uh, points from turnover differential, as I mentioned with Carlton. Mm-hmm. So Giants are probably one team that are uh, exceeding probably where their ladder position is at. And same as with um, Ross Lyon, Adam Kingsley deserves just as much praise. Absolutely. One of the one of the sort of coaches of the year, I'd say, on par with my biased opinion of Michael Voss. So uh, he's done it on the big stage, Adam Kingsley, with Richmond. He's won three flags. So it'll be really interesting to see what sort of carries over with the Giants. Um Potentially, some weaknesses throughout the midfield. I know that guys like uh, Tom Green, Josh Kelly, um Stephen Canelio, Callum Ward, they're sort of big names, but they probably haven't stepped up to the levels which we know they can in sort of the last month or two. So, it'll be interesting to see how they can bounce back. Um, Like we mentioned, it may be a bit of a wet weekend. So, yeah, I'm probably tipping the Giants, and um, I'm keen to see Adam Kingsley versus Frostline, the, the battle of the first-year coaches.
1: Absolutely. That'll be a great battle, and... Yeah, it's interesting. You, you touched upon the Giants' form. They, nine out of the last 11 games, the Giants have won, which can't be underestimated. Like, they are in superb form. Obviously, they dropped a game to Port Adelaide that sort of exposed them a little bit, but they've bounced back really well. And Yuri, we'll get to you in a sec, but I remember in a podcast, Yuri mentioned that the St. Kilda midfield is a little bit one-dimensional. And then you're looking to get against what they're coming up. They've got Cornelio, Kelly, Ward. I mean, they're in fantastic form, the Giants. So the Saints midfield would steal and crouch, and maybe Sinclair might jump in there a little bit. We'll have a battle ahead of them. But nonetheless, hopefully the Saints' footy as a Saints supporter prevails. But Yuri, what's your take on this one?
0: Yeah, it's going to be extremely close and one that's going to go right down to the wine. And that's the differential we're probably going to see is where the Giants speed and going back to the orange tsunami and rediscovering that flare and death through the middle, which Kingsley's brought back in space, which they lost right when... Last season with Leon Cameron, it just seemed as though the game plan significantly altered to a point where they became very ultra-conservative. And Julian, we spoke about this on many episodes when previewing the Giants. But there comes a time where when you have a group slash a list that normally is used to playing one certain way, and when you can bring that back like what Kingsley has done this season, then the player's going to buy in. And that's exactly the point because that's where... Not only are they able to use their kicking skills, they're able to run, gut run to certain spots on the field and have either Stephen Cornelio streaming through the midfield like he's done this season. But it almost alternates into this defensive pressure as well, where they're able to create an amass of 450 pressure. And now something else so non existent last season. I think they ranked something like 16th or last the year before, right, when they only won six games and they finished 16th on the ladder. But when he bring in Toby Bedford from Melbourne, Brent Daniels, who's back fit and firing again, and those two have been absolutely terriers in the attacking 50 by laying all the tackles. And honestly, don't get started on Toby Bedford again with the Giants wanting – well, they should have that one-match ban overturned because now looking at it, he didn't collect Fisher in the head. Fisher even – said during the tribunal hearing that he got collected in the shoulder and didn't Mm. feel anything. So that's almost injustice in the way that they've prolonged this for this time and he's still not allowed to play this Saturday. I think that's just completely wrong because that's just that was just a fair footy bump at the time, right? And Mm. I think it was with about three minutes left in the third quarter during that game. However though, the other part too is Sam Taylor and still there's nothing that has been confirmed as to whether He's going to be available for the clash. He's still 50-50 with a hamstring injury, which he was a late pull-out against Carlton in the final round. That's going to be key because the matchup with him and Max King, considering what happened in the side's first meeting back in round 10 when King ran rings all over Jack Buckley. I think he kicked three goals cool. on him as the Saints just prevailed that afternoon by a couple of goals. That's the other key part. And for the Saints as well, I think there's two X factors for mine. They've got to have... Very big saves. And right from the get-go, they just need to be as dogged and determined, and that's their two small fours, Dan Butler and Jack Higgins for mine. And those two have had excellent home and away seasons. I think Butler kicked about 34 goals and Higgins likewise around the same two. If they're able to impact like what Daniels, if Bedford has his one-match ban overturned for the second time if the Giants are lucky, then they've got to, if not match it, but go Five rungs better by impacting the scoreboard than those two kicking their fair share of goals. Because again, we only saw what once this during the home and away season that St. Kilda eclipsed over 100 point. Oh, twice, shall I say? Gold Coast twice. in round four and Hawthorne in round 20 off the top of my head. So if they're able to win in the contested ball as well through Steele and Brad Crouch, who had a tremendous last month of the home and away season and through the impact as well, Cooper Sharman. And that's the one other thing too. Is the defensive forward role? He did a great job on Sicily in that game. Who does he? Who does he go to from the oh, Giants?
1: Yeah, I was going to mention that as as you conclude. I was thinking maybe Himmelberg looked dangerous against Colton, and that's the sort of defender that would tear us up. You know, tall intercepting mark defenders. They usually are a kryptonite. So potentially he plays a defensive forward role on him. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's a big part as well for St. Kilda if they're able to shut Himmelberg's intercept marking down and. And also with Harry being able to get, what, 13 is 15 kicks a game, they'll go some way to the Saints Saints. I, mean, I just feel deep down that the Saints will win because, again, Julian, you've seen this every single week in the lead-up to the conclusion of this home-and-away season that every time everyone doubted St. Kilda to make finals, and they always stood up through the adversity that was issued upon them. And I think, again, they'll probably do that. I just feel... There's something about the group where at the start of the season, we didn't really know exactly in terms of the list and whether it's the list Ross Lyon wants going forward because he sort of, in a way, it was all predicated that, oh, he didn't have much to work with. They had their fair spate of injuries with what more than 10 players now on the casualty ward with off-season surgery and that. But they'd be able to absolutely conquer the odds in that regard. And if they're able to do that come this Saturday, which I think they have every chance of doing so, then... Can't say why not.
1: Yep, I'll definitely be tipping the Saints. I know Ash mentioned the duo of King and Membry, and I think just watching as a Saints supporter, geez, Membry just brings another level to the side, and it's another option. And obviously, King didn't play against Brisbane. Jack Hayes did his role. But having Membry and King as both you know tall forward options, with Sharman leaping all over the place with his spring, and you've got the Rovers, um, you know, it. You've got Butler and Higgins, as you mentioned, Yuri. It's not a bad forward line. So we just, as Ash said, we need to put some scoreboard pressure on to be a chance. I'm just hoping with the home crowd, a lot of it will be predominantly Saints fans, you know, 60,000 plus, you know, cheering the red, white and black. Hopefully that's enough to get them over the line. Anyway, we're going to move over to the final finals game. It is Brisbane versus Port Adelaide. Brisbane at the shortest odds out of any team for this week. It's $1.47 they're paying at the moment, which is interesting, probably because they haven't lost a game at the (laughs) Gabba this year. That's probably fair enough, but I don't know. You can never write off the Port Adelaide power. Ash, we'll continue with you starting. You're doing a great job so far. How do you think this one plays out?
2: I mean, you'd have to be a very brave man to tip against Brisbane at the Gabba. It's it's certainly sort of one of one of the biggest powerhouses, I think, in terms of home ground advantage. And I think a lot of that comes down to out of all the teams playing in the top eight, I reckon there's no better forward line than probably Brisbane. Um, there's no one that's been more damaging, more dynamic, more versatile, and there's just so many options. Sort if you stop one, another one's going to. Uh, if you stop one player, another player is going to pop up, and another one will. They've just got so many different avenues to go, and I think a lot of that comes from Brisbane being first in league from uh, points from turnover inside fifty differential, differential, and second uh, for points for and scores per inside fifty. So I think shutting down or even slowing down the likes of uh Charlie Cameron, Joe Danaher, Eric Kapood, Zach Bailey, there's just so many. It, it's going to be near impossible for any team, especially the power. So um for any defense, uh it looms as a pretty tricky task to to yeah. come against Brisbane, especially at home, because they've they've really got a clear point of difference there as they sort of embark on their uh chase for the flag. And I think it's pretty pretty unfortunate for for Port who come against sort of Brisbane on one hand Brisbane's offense is such a strength, but I would say that Port Adelaide's defense is probably a bit of a weakness. They're pretty undermanned there for large stages of this year. And sort of, I reckon if they fall short um, during this final series would probably be because of their shaky defense. Um, They just haven't done a, a very good job of stopping teams from moving the ball up the ground. There's sort of pressure uh, through the middle of a field, just hasn't been up to scratch, and I think when it goes inside uh, defensive fifty, they've just been pretty vulnerable. So um, that's not good news. But when you're coming up against Brisbane, who have such a start-studded attack, and it's probably not helping that, uh, as I mentioned, their back six has been pretty undermanned. Trent McKenzie, I think is, I-, I believe he'll be ready to come back, but he might be a bit underdone. So we'll see what sort of happens there. Um, we'll be looking forward to see what Connor O'Shea does. He's a sort of a big-time player, and Butters especially. So they're the sort of match winners that can potentially get it done for Port if they are to win this game. But it's going to be a really hard uh, ask for them coming up, coming up against Brisbane at home.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, well said. Yeah, Butters, Rosie, Houston, they all need absolute blinders to sort of give Port a chance. Yuri, uh, agree with a lot of Ash there. What, what do you think for this one?
0: It's great to see the two teams playing finals against one another. It's almost like the early 2000s, right, where they are going hammer and tongs in the 2001 qualifying final, 2002 prelim final, the 2004 grand final, of course, and all those other close bouts during the early 2000s. I think Port Adelaide's one advantage they can get over Brisbane is through leg speed and clearance work. And the clearance work of Port Adelaide isn't in terms of a large differential, but It's just the way they're able to extract out of the middle or through stoppages, which is so lethal. And again, through Zach Butters, Jason Horn Francis, Connor Rosie, those three, when they're given time and space, will cut you to ribbons. And if Brisbane allow that, then it may be a bit of a warning bell alarm sign, which they'll have to sort of address as the game goes on. The other part, too, is with Willem Drew, and he's had pretty – sound success against Brisbane as well and the tagging job is most likely going to get on Lockie Neil because we've seen over the last couple of seasons when Neil has been tagged and we also touched upon with Marcus Winhager a couple of probably a couple of months ago Ryan right? won the podcast Julian where I think Neil only had 16 touches when they played St Kilda in round 22 last season and William Drew was one of Port Adelaide's best a couple of years ago against Brisbane he had about 33 disposals and they'll completely blitzed by about eight goals on that Saturday night. So that's the one other assignment i will definitely see eventuating with Willem Drew going on to Lockie Neal. The other part too is with Port Adelaide's half backs and also with Kane Farrell and Dylan Williams. And those two have been excellent halfbacks this season those two have given so much drive and have been real architects for what Port Adelaide, Port Adelaide want to do and their emergence as well seeing of course Darcy Byrne-Jones having to switch from what being a back pocket halfback in his 2020 All-Australian year to playing as a defensive forward role and speaking of that as well who does he go on to as well that's the big part does he go to say a Connor McKenna Darcy Wilmot a, say also probably a Kdenan Coleman that's a yeah. A few of those other areas, I think Ken Hinckley may have up his sleeve to quell one of those three because all the three of them provide so much of Brisbane's run and carry. Yeah. And the, once they're given that latitude to use their lethal kicking skills, then they're super hard to stop. And that's where Brisbane as well can be so dangerous on their counter attack. And of course, we've documented all across their forwards when they've combined over what, 150 goals again this season, they're, they've just had another outstanding year. I think. Also, the biggest improvement with Brisbane from last season, Julian, is that from defensively, they were 12th for points allowed. It was just over 90 per game, and that has dramatically improved. They're They're only 6th during the home and away season for points allowed. So that's where they've improved significantly with their defensive component of the game. And if they're able to really block it down and – really quell out Port Adelaide's run, which Brisbane love to do in spades. But if they're able to do that for a longer amount as the game wears on, then that's where Brisbane hold the biggest ace of spades, I think, as the contest wears on for mine.
1: Yeah, you boys are just absolute expert analysis. Honestly, it's fantastic seeing the uh, you both dissect the games. I cannot wait. It's going to be a fantastic final series. That pretty much brings us to the end. Now it's just a matter of who's going to win the games. So, boys, just final, I know we sort of said it throughout the podcast, but for those who may have joined late or just a quick summary, Yuri, just tell us one word, teams, who are you tipping for each game? So I think you said Melbourne. Carlton, yes, I did. Melbourne, yep. Carlton, Saints, and Brisbane.
0: Brisbane, yes.
1: And Ash?
2: Now I'm similar, but I'll say Melbourne, Carlton, GWS, and uh, Brisbane. Yep,
1: those are the tips. You heard it from the two experts. All right, that brings us to the end of the AFL round preview for finals footy on the Mojo Sports Network. Yuri, before we wrap up, were there any shows or articles that you had coming out?
0: Yeah, so I've got one article that's coming out tomorrow and I've been working feverishly on this for the last couple of days, Julian, and it's been long and it's been a little bit of a process here and there, but it's just on Carlton in the last 10 years, essentially, from the rebuild and the coaching changes and back into the final sphere once more and basically documenting from... Mick Malthouse's appointment on September 11, 2012, and going through the real turmoil and turbulence that has really eventuated through the last decade all the way through now, all the way through to now, shall I say. So that'll be up tomorrow morning. It's a extremely long piece. I think it's over 2,000 words. So I've been editing over it this
1: afternoon, and
0: it'll be up on my own Substack account. I'll also put it up on LinkedIn.
1: Awesome. We'll check that one out. And Ash, uh, I guess we can find you on the Tuesday AFL show. What are you guys going to be talking about? So Yes, yeah,
2: so. We'll sort of wait whatever hot topics come out. I'm guessing sort of now that the bottom 10 teams their season is finished, there's a few trade requests coming here and there, so there'll be a bit to dissect there. And uh, looking forward to it, hopefully a big trade period.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And let's hope, fingers crossed, there's no uh, injuries or match suspensions to report from the weekend coming up. All right, thank you so much for joining us, and we will see you next week on the Mojo Sports Network.